All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. So I've talked about this multiple times. I have three biological children and I have two foster kids. At home, I'm, I'm tired and a lot of times I just want the kids to do what I tell them. Just pick it up. Don't stand on the chair, right? But they don't follow those instructions because I don't say, if you don't pick that up, somebody's going to step on it and get hurt. If you stand on that chair, you're going to fall and break your head open, right? If I don't communicate the reason behind why I'm telling them to do it, then they're not going to do it. And sometimes they don't do it even when I do communicate it. So what I need help with is how can I communicate the reasoning behind what I'm wanting them to do. And then that carries the same over here into the athletic training facility. So for athletic trainers, we need to be able to communicate, yes, this product is good for your recovery. Yes, this product is bad for your sports performance. And we need to be able to communicate that. Luckily, I have some experts. So Dr. Kimberly Stein and Kevin Lures are joining me from the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. They are um, experts in their field. Kimberly has a, uh, a history or pedigree of collegiate athlete, collegiate coach, and over 14 years working with the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. Kevin has a history working with the with professional sports. He worked with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and was one of the, the lead dietitians, the creator of or the change and revolution of the way that nutrition and meal planning and sports performance went for NFL athletes. So they have a, a depth of experience in communicating the science or the reasoning behind why we're doing. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash communicate the science. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash communicate the science. So Dr. Stein, Kevin, thanks for joining us here on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Happy to be here. Thanks, Jeremy. That's yes, quite the intro. <laughs> All right. So again, we're talking about communicating. Again, every single day when I go home, it's it's about communicating the reasoning, right? So effective communication between, you know, a uh, a sports dietitian or a collegiate coach or a collegiate athlete or a professional athlete. Um, what does that look like to you? Uh, and let's start with you, Dr. Stein. Um, I think one of the, the most important things when we're communicating science is to remember that we, as the one with the scientific information, we think it's all so cool. And we want to tell everyone every little detail and really make sure they understand it and convince them. And the reality is most people don't think all your little details are very cool. And if you hit them over the head with a lot of technical information, um, it's just gonna go right over their head and you're gonna lose them. So I think the most important thing with communicating science is keeping it very simple to start with until people ask you for more information. So simple messaging, simple approach, and really thinking about your audience and where they're at. Um, are they coming to you because they're interested in making a change in what they're doing? So maybe you can tell them a little bit more. 
Are they someone who is not interested in making a change, but you think they need to make a change and you're going to kind of convince them with the science, then you have to start even softer, right? And talk about the motivation for the change and then start bringing in some of that evidence. So keeping it simple and really knowing your audience and meeting them where they are, are my two guiding principles when I, when I talk science to a non-scientific audience. Yeah, no, I, I'll build off that a little bit too. And I love your example, Jeremy, of communicating with your kids because it's it's like the same thing with my dog. Like uh, his name is Ollie. Like Ollie, stay off the couch. That's the only piece of furniture that you're not allowed on. <laughs> stay off the couch. And he looks at me just kind of like, what is he saying? And he looks over at mommy. It's like, well, mommy's okay with it. Well, anyway, uh, so that's that's kind of like there. There's obvious uh, obviously a barrier there, uh, but I, I think quite generally. You know, when you talk about communication, specifically effective communication, you know, it's, it's okay. So it's the transfer of ideas or, or concepts or, or information to another person or another party so that they understand, all right, and they comprehend what you're telling them. That's that's the most important part. And I know Kim was talking about, you know, <clears throat> um, putting things into action, right? Um, I think I think there's there's another piece to that, uh, a separate piece with motivation, but in, in terms of actually communicating what you wanna communicate and having that, uh, that person or group of people understand what you talk about is, is, to me, it's almost like a lost art. And I've learned so much about communication over the last you know, 12 years, you know, both in sport and in industry and it's it's hard it's really really hard and so kind of like what kim is, was saying before you have to be able to uh evaluate almost uh in the moment where that person or even the group of people are at in their education on a certain topic and that's really really hard to do but um it, it's a matter of just if you can if you can find that um that that place where they're at so to speak and just stay one step ahead of them. That's you don't want to be two steps, three steps. You definitely don't want to be behind them, right? But just staying one step ahead of them, and that's that's you can you can kind of do that on the spot with, like Kim was saying, keep things very simple. And then if there's any clarifying questions that they're asking, they're all they, they may ask why, or they may just give you a simple head. Now, okay, I understand. And and it, it's it's kind of a thing where it's it, it's kind of tough, uh, but it, it's a lot of it's kind of on the spot. All right. To both of you, have experience with with collegiate athletics, um, and Kevin specifically working in the NFL, you were kind of like groundbreaker there. Um, tell me what some of the things that you struggled with in in communicating that because people get set in their ways. You know, coaches. Well, we've always done it this way. Uh, players. Well, I always did. You know, I did this in high school. I did this in college, and now I'm working in the NFL. Or you know, I'm, I'm an NFL player. Why does it? Why do I need to change? What are some of the things that you've run into? Yeah. So, um, so I, I first started in the NFL in 2010. And sports and nutrition is, is is such a, a young field, right? And um, it, it's very interesting uh, the difference from when I started to when I left um, in in 2010. There probably, and I, I don't know the numbers on this, it probably wasn't half the number of sports dietitians working full-time in the collegiate setting uh, that there is now. And so I noticed a big difference between 
when I first started in, in and having those conversations, a lot of those conversations with, with the professional athletes didn't even touch the science. It was just the what and, 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 a, and, and a little bit of an illustration of the why. Uh, but, you know, as we get into, you know, later 2018, 2019, you can really see the difference in their education level on the topic of sports nutrition because of that influence that the, the collegiate sports dietitians had. Um, and so to answer your question, I think what, how I adjusted that along the way, um, or even when I started was make it applicable to them. All right. And, and appeal to the why and it, behind the way that they may feel. So an example would be, you know, feelings of fatigue when they're on the field or even, even in the meeting room, um, maybe, maybe it may, it may be due to dehydration or, or it may be that they're not taking in enough carbohydrates. They just might not be eating enough. And so if you uh, if you can uh, relate it to how they're feeling and kind of make um, uh, those adjustments along the way and keep in check with them, like, hey, you know, monitor how they're doing. Like, hey, how are you feeling now? Are you still feeling fatigued or are you still feeling uh, tired or are you, you have a little bit more energy? Um, and, and I think that's a really, really important thing is is it's, it's the so what, you know, and, and so appealing to how they feel is kind of how I was able to be successful with, with, uh, with my former job. All right, Dr. Stein, same thing working with as a college coach. And if you were, you did college coaching for 10 years before your 14 years with Gatorade sports science. And so I'm, I'm guessing the number of registered dietitians or sports dietitians working was even fewer. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your experience as a college coach and, and communicating that and some of the struggles that you dealt with personally as a college coach in your um, your diet and the way that you handled that and then the way that you communicated with, with your athletes. Yeah, you're right. But that was a long time ago and even further back from Kevin and, and when sports nutrition was really in its infancy. So when I brought these ideas forward, it was a very new concept. And um, Going back to to what you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, a lot of coaches, right? They're stuck in their ways. This is the way we've always done it. Um, and on that side of things, it, it's you you have to sell it. You have to sell that nutrition is another training aid that we have for your athletes, and you have to frame it up in terms of performance and wins, um, potentially injury prevention, um, you know, the potential for injury prevention, if you're, if you're taking care of your body, if you're doing and eating the right thing. So when you talk to the coaches, especially back then, you know, I really tried to frame it up as another training tool they had to help their athletes be successful to win at whatever their sport is, and then back up from there on now here's some of the things that you can do, you know, make sure that when you're planning practice, you give your athletes enough breaks to get a drink, <laughs> you know, whatever it is they end up drinking during that time, you as the coach have to facilitate that. Um, but you can't start with that. You can't tell them that they need to change their practice plan. You have to first get them to buy into the why and how it's gonna help them with their bigger picture. And then it's the same thing with the athletes. You know, similar to Kevin, it was such a, no it was so novel back then when, um, athletes were feeling very fatigued or were having trouble with recovery. And I would say, you know what, we can take a look at what you're eating and we can probably make some tweaks to that and you're going to feel better on the court. 
you're like, really? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And I think back to when I played college basketball, let's not talk about how long ago that was, but I think, gosh, I wish I would have known way back then what I know now. And I would try and, you know, use that personal experience when I worked with my athletes and tried to frame it up that way. But, you know, a lot of it is their motivation. And again, you can't just hit them over the head with science because they have to care in the first place. I'll never forget a road trip with him and she was really tired and we had another game the next afternoon and I said to her listen I pulled her aside I'm like you need to make sure you eat right and we need to get you enough nutrients that you need to recover before tomorrow because you're probably going to play you know the full game again tomorrow and a little while later I saw her I said so did you get your you know the the package the um the meals that we brought and she said, Oh, you know, it's out on the bus and I just didn't feel like going to get it. So it's the, she wants to do well the next day. Right. And back then, you know, the they hadn't bought into part of my recovery is making sure I eat and then having that accessibility. So if I would have thought ahead, I would have had those meals inside with me. Again, they don't need to know all the science behind that necessarily at that point. They've got to buy in first. And as they buy in, then I can start to explain, now here's really why and here's what this is doing for you. So it's leading with personal experience and appealing to what's important to either the coaching staff or the athlete before you start, you have the knowledge, you have the scientific knowledge, you use that to create these scenarios and then you can start teaching after that. So do you feel like as a coach, you were leading by example then? In terms of what I ate and how I ate? (laughs) Um, I tried to, so I was also, um, I was also doing research on, um, at that time I was doing research on yogurt as recovery from strength training. And so, um, I would talk to my athletes about that research and why I was doing it. And then they also did see me. I was also, you know, we'd work out as a team and I'd try and get in the lift with the team. Right. Cause I didn't have a lot of time other ways. And I would, I would have recovery nutrition with me, or they would see me with a, um, a bottle at practice so that I was staying hydrated as well, right? Or I would talk with them every time there was a fluid break about they needed to get a drink, I needed to get a drink, you know, here's why. So yes, I absolutely tried to model the behavior that I expected for them. Now I was not obviously expending as many calories as they were at a basketball practice. So I wasn't doing exactly what I would think that they should be doing, but wherever I could, absolutely modeling the behavior is important. Very good, I know yeah, I that one of the things- of Jeremy. Yeah, no, I I think that's, that is so important to practice what you preach. Um, because, you know, the athletes, they're, they're really, they're, they're looking at, at what you're doing too. And and they are basing it off of what you're telling them. And so, you know, there would be, there'd be a lot of times, I mean, I'd, I'd be at the training table, every day and and i'd I'd eat with the athletes and 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 i'd coach them up on the training table and you know they're looking at my plate just like i'm looking at their plate you know and and kind of like to kim's point i was like hey you know this isn't the ideal plate for you just because um because i'm not expending as many as many calories so i don't have you know 
uh, endless amounts of pasta, rice, and, and starches on my plate, but I do have, you know, a little bit of, of, of those as well as vegetables, as well as protein, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, they're, they're definitely, um, they're, they're definitely judging you too. So, um, I, I think that's a, that's a really, really good point in terms of the buy-in and really selling them on, um, on, on the what as well as the why. And, and it's, it's one of those things where you may have a lot of different, um, types of athletes, different education levels. Again, it kind of goes back to the same one step ahead of them, but you may or may not bring the science in right away. You may, you may just have an intervention with, with an athlete and they, if, you know, especially if they had success, which most likely they would, uh, then you can bring in, in the science and more of the why if need be. You know, <clears throat> as we sit here and talk, you know, uh, I go to the weight room and I work out, you know, the kids see me in there and that kind of thing. And obviously they see that, that that's important. And, you know, I talked to them, talked to them today. Hey, would you eat for breakfast? And like, who wants to eat breakfast at six in the morning before practice? Like, well, I eat breakfast every day, you know, and I eat lunch and I eat dinner every day, that kind of thing. But <clears throat> again, going back to the thing at the house, there's a lot of times where the kids are like, can we have candy after dinner? Can we have dessert? That kind of thing. And, you know, not, most of the time it's no, but then I'm thinking, well, what if, they see me having a piece of candy afterwards or something like that. And what am I really communicating with them? And so maybe I need to shift it like, hey, if you eat your dinner and you brush your teeth right afterwards, you can have candy every every night, you know, one piece of candy every night after dinner. And then it's not like special rewarding. It's just, all right, well, this is just kind of the thing. You know, you got to make sure you take care of the responsibility. So, again, these conversations are helpful for me to to learn. Am I really practicing what I'm preaching, just like you're saying. <clears throat> and so we, you guys have mentioned keeping it simple and both of you have said meeting them where they are. Um, how do we meet them where they are? How do we, how do we introduce the conversation to let's start with like my high school freshman girls. Cause that's who I just dealt with like seven of them this morning. Um, how do I introduce that conversation of sports nutrition, of communicating the, the science with them? I think there's a, I think there's a couple ways. Um, I think first thing is having that initial conversation, uh, planting the seed. Um, I, I think a lot of the buy-in that I got, and I had the opportunity, I had, I had uh, great head coaches um, during my time in the NFL that, that you know, were, were bought into – sports nutrition and recovery. Um, and so I had the opportunity to sell it in front of the entire team and get everybody on the same message. It's kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard. You're probably going to hit a bullseye, you know, every once in a while, but you're, at least you're hitting a bullseye. And it, 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 that, that, that kind of broad approach then can kind of um, attract you know, the, those athletes and they'll come to you and ask more questions because you're starting to build that trust um, through that exposure. And, and so that you plant that seed and then you're able to take that athlete and work with that athlete. And um, that, that is seen by other athletes around by their peers. So it's, it's, it's selling itself kind of on its own as well. So, you know, the success that you have with one athlete then can attract the others. And, and so that's, that's, um, 
that to me is very, very important is to, just to have that initial exposure. You are the expert in terms of, you know, as a dietitian, and I'm talking about dietitians, but, you know, it could be athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches and, and sports scientists, but you are the expert in your field. So they're, they're, uh, they're wanting to, to trust you, first of all, in what you're saying. And then from there, it's, it's building that relationship. The relationship is, is going to be the most important. If you have that, uh, that accessibility, if you, if, if, if you have that benefit of building those relationships with those athletes, and then it kind of stems from there and you create that relationship. A lot of the times where I'd, I'd have my, you know, consultations are, you know, in, in the hallway or, um, you know, not, not just in the training table, but in the weight room, uh, at, at um, in, in the athletic training room, maybe it's even out on the practice field. I remember one time it was, you know, we're in the, we're in the huddle in fourth quarter and the guy asked me a nutrition question. Now it's very few and far between, but it happens. So that, that's, th those were my, my consultations and they, they weren't just office consultations. Um, and so again, planting that seed is, is, um, is going to be key. Yeah. And like Kevin said, the relationship is huge. I think with your example, with high school girls, athletes, right? Like this is a very unique group. So if you're just meeting them for the first time, might not be the best time to start um, digging in because we know if you know this population, right, they might have some body image issues. They might be very sugar phobic, right? We know that that is, well, that's an issue with a lot of athletes, right? And it's an issue with communicating the science of sport nutrition because a lot of what we know based on the science is kind of counterintuitive to what popular media and popular culture is telling us about sugar and salt. Um, we have we have an opposite message to tell and it's really hard to combat that. So when you're talking with young female athletes, um, a lot of times I will ask them, you know, what do you think about nutrition and performance? And, you know, what do you think you need? Like if it's basketball players, what do you think you guys need on the court? Um, how are you feeling these days on the court? And then, and then kind of get their perspective and then start to tell, to talk to them about that performance nutrition and what you need as an athlete, you're doing something special and you're doing something different and you're pushing your body. That's a little different than what everyone else needs. And let's talk specifically about what you need on the court and talk to it about fueling their performance. And then you can start to talk about, you know, hey, you're telling me you feel a little fatigued and you're only drinking a little bit of water. Maybe we should consider having a little bit of carbohydrate energy and then here's why, and not go into the, you know, the recommendation is 30 to 60 grams per hour and, you know, hit them over the head with that. But just very subtly, let's try just a little bit of energy, just a little bit. Let's see how you feel. Let's sip on it a little bit at practice and start to work those messages in, um, knowing that they may initially be like, oh, that's extra calories. Well, be ready to talk about what those extra calories do for them on the court and be really specific to on the court or, you know, on the field, whatever it happens to be, and not make sweeping generalizations. You have to be really specific. Um, but this is, again, where knowing the audience is super, super important and um, not doing too much too quickly. All right, so back in, I think, 2002, I did an internship with the Houston Texans, and that was their second year of 
existence. And it was just like Kevin was talking about, you know, the, it was whatever you want. It was there, you know, there was a buffet, there was always desserts and things like that. And one of my coworkers or one of my friends, he works with Houston Texans now. And he's like, it's completely different from back in the day when we were there. Uh, it's like, you know, they, now they have quinoa and all this other, you know, all this healthy stuff. It's just, it's, it's just not the same. So there's been huge changes, you know, from the top, but how do you get that change from the bottom or I, I, I don't know at the bottom, but from the athlete. So Kevin, why don't you take the lead on that and then we'll see what Dr. Stein has to say. Yeah. I, so when I, when I first took the job, um, with uh with the bucks it was kind of like where do i start you know and and i think it was it was it was definitely it was intimidating uh because i had never i had never worked with professional athletes before i had worked with collegiate athletes even when i was a, a college athlete i i was i was um working with my teammates actually to be honest with you it was it was i, I that's how i gained experience uh, my first experiences in sports nutrition at the university of nebraska and so i was like man professional athletes that that's that's just like a different beast uh but and they were used to uh, i remember one of the um one of the big ones was fried catfish fridays you know and that's a couple days leading up before the sunday game they, they love fried catfish fridays um, you know, they had a full fledged ice cream bar, they had sodas, you know, they, they would have hot dogs, burgers. So they would have all of these things. And it was, it was one of those, it was, it was one of those things where to, to Kim's point, you know, starting, starting small and starting steadily. So I, I, I was starting to change, uh, menu items, but not like, uh, not like take away, you know, let's say for instance, burgers or mac and cheese, but what tweaks could I, could I make the menu? Um, uh, how could I modify it, uh, to where I could almost kind of fool them? You know, um, I think even the night before the game, it was, it was kind of a, I look, I look back on, on that menu. So in the NFL and I think in college, you always have that night before the game snack and it's not even really a snack. It's a full fledged, it's a full fledged meal. It's like a Thanksgiving meal. Um, but it was filled again with those same things, ice cream, pizza, uh, wings was, was popular. So I made those modifications to the menu and, and, the, and the fact that, okay, I, on the pizza, for instance, uh, I, I upped the sauce and, and decreased the cheese uh, a little bit. Um, and and I, I turned it you know, from, from pepperoni to turkey pepperoni. So I made those small little modifications. Instead of frying the chicken wings, we baked the chicken wings and had, had all the Tabasco sauce and dressings on the side. Um, so, and, and then switched from um, from ice cream to yogurt. And I really, I, I actually had two options for, for dessert. So making those like small, subtle changes, almost kind of fooling them a little bit, um, you know, with both our staff that we had at the Bucks, as well as the hotel staffs that, you know, because the night before the game, you stay at a hotel. And so you have to really work with them and educate them as well. Uh, but, but making those small, small changes. And, and at the same time, like, I think they could probably notice the difference in taste. Uh, but educating them on, okay, maybe, maybe instead of, 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 um, having ice cream, maybe do half yogurt, have like half ice cream, uh, you know, just, just making those small little subtle changes as you go. So that was kind of the first thing that, that I messed with was the, what the menu, 
and trying to slowly switch that over to to now it's it's now they're the the athletes are looking for those items like you mentioned quinoa um and and they're they're looking instead of for the regular hamburger they they may be looking for a turkey burger or a salmon burger or they they may be looking for um an all you know a, a vegetarian burger so it's it's one of those things where um they they're expecting that they know that they need to fuel themselves the right way and um so so and, and they've been educated may, most likely if they're coming to a professional program uh, especially in the NFL they, they probably had a dietitian now which, which is great to say uh but but they're looking for those things now and they they uh, for the most part I think they see the importance in fueling the right way and how it has an effect on their performance and their recovery I think there's been an interesting shift that I've seen over the 14 years I've been in GSSI and the athletes that we've worked with. You know, early in my career, it was the older athletes that would come to us and wanted advice because they were looking to extend their career. So they get to that point and they're like, I'm doing everything I can to keep playing. And now they want to, you know, improve their nutrition and, and have a hydration plan and all of those things. And over time, you know, when you talk about the athlete buy-in, that has started to change. Now we see the younger athletes coming into the league, coming, you know, they get a professional contract and right from the get-go, they want to know what they can start doing immediately because they've seen athletes in front of them as they've gotten older, start to take care of their body and extend their career. Now they're starting to see, hey, if I start doing that right away, I'm really going to set myself up for, you know, potentially less injury, potentially playing longer, things like that. So that's been a really nice shift to see is um, younger athletes really hungry for um, information on how to really take care of their bodies, including nutrition and hydration. And then I think that has trickled down to collegiate athletes, right? As Kevin has mentioned, more and more of them have sports dietitians. And, you know, and that's great. At, you know, the Division One schools, the big schools, now the smaller schools are catching up, right? And they don't necessarily have those resources. But I think that, um, you know, the smaller school athletes, the high school athletes, they're starting to see the buy-in with professional athletes. You know, there's, you see news stories pop up here and there now, like quite often, right, about the types of foods professional athletes are eating or stories about individual athletes taking care of themselves. And so I think it, it's starting to become part of the athletic culture even in a high school, small college settings where they don't have a sports dietitian necessarily telling them everything to do. And that's been a really nice shift to see. Um, and I think that has come with the evolution of sport nutrition science and what we know and why it's important to start to implement. And um, the athlete buy-in, you know, it's with a lot of things, right? The younger kids wanna do what they see the professionals doing and they start to adopt it. I think that's happening in the nutrition world as well. Dr. Stein, the, who are some of the populations that you have presented to, and then what are some of the differences that you, or different ways or tactics you use when you're presenting to them? So like if you're presenting to high school kids versus college kids versus registered dietitians versus college students uh, versus coaches. So what are some of those people that you've presented to and how do you differ your approach? Yeah, so I'd say on the um, 
more sciencey end of the spectrum is the practitioner communities. So dietitians, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, um, they tend to be hungry for more of the science. They really want to know the why. Um, they want to see charts and graphs and data <laughs> and see the publications and know that what you're telling them is grounded in science. And so giving a presentation to those groups tends to be a more science heavy. However, you still can't, they're not, um, you know, you're not talking to other scientists. So you still have to make sure that you are communicating that science clearly, even as you're going into more data, they might not have the background to understand every single, you know, molecular test you might be speaking about, right? So you still have to remember where they're at, but that's definitely more sciencey. Um, but I still think using a lot of visuals, uh, a lot of analogies while you're delivering that data is very important. Um, we spend a lot of time uh, making sure our like PowerPoint presentations are visually appealing, that they're very graphic, um, because you still want to, even if the audience wants the information, you still have to capture their attention, right, and keep them engaged and explain it in a way that they're really interested in. And then as you kind of move down the spectrum and with professional athletes, I have had professional athletes ask me in the past, you know, I want to see the science, like show me more. And that's great. When they do, I will do that. But I don't start there because I don't know up front that that's what they want, right? So I let them ask those questions and then I'm prepared to give them more when they want it. Um, you know, I think athletes in general, it's more of a, again, like we've been talking about leading with the why, what nutrition can do for you, and then peppering in now, you know, here's why we know this. This is where it comes from. You know, it might be as simple as saying there are years of published research and, you know, experts have brought this all together and here's how we know how to deliver this to you now. Um, using examples of athletes that it's worked for. I think that's really important. They have to see it in action. Coaches are interesting. Um, I haven't talked to coaches maybe as much as I would have liked. I think it's a group I, I would like to work more with in two ways. One, to help them understand what we're telling their athletes and what the practitioners are telling their athletes, because ultimately they have to be the ones to help implement it. Like we mentioned before, they have to give the appropriate breaks at practice. They have to be willing to have pregame meals at the right time. They have to be willing to... Um, maybe alter practice times in the morning so athletes could sleep in a little bit and still get in breakfast, right? They're the gatekeepers to all of this. And so I'd like to be able to talk to coaches more um, and give them a blend of why this is going to help their team win ultimately, and then come in with some of the science to support that. But I also think coaches are interesting because they could use probably a little bit more support with their own nutrition and hydration habits and sleep and their exercise training and de-stressing and all of that, that I think would help their performance as a coach, right? Cognitive performance, help their recovery. Um, so far that hasn't been um, a big request in the coaching community. I won't be surprised if we get there, right? And, and I think that that's an interesting white space that we could do more with. Yeah, just to build off what Kim was saying is, is you know, and I, I, I spoke about, you know, having these team nutrition uh, presentations in the past, and it was truly the whole team. So coaches were in there as well. So 
it wasn't just for the for the athletes for the players you know the coaches are able to hear your message as well and um i've had uh, a lot of interest from past coaches and, you know, hey, can you send me those slides? You know, if I'm a head coach one day, I want to, you know, I want to send this to my dietitian or, or what have you. So there's a lot of interest and that's great. Um, that means that they're, they're, they're really trying to pick up what you're, what you're putting down. But at the same time, it's really important to, uh, to educate them so that they could communicate the same message if need be, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the thing that I, I find really frustrating and a total disservice to athletes is that athletes, and I think this goes for society in general, is that there are so many uh, myths and misconceptions and misinformation out there um, because we have a computer at our, in our, in our hip pocket <laughs> and we, you know, I'm not going to name any search engines, but we all know who it is that they're that they're searching for certain topics and, and specifically of nutrition that, you know, there's so much that comes your way as, as a dietitian or as a, as a health practitioner in general that you need to be communicating the same message as as um, as a, a performance staff. So strength coaches, dietitians, um, athletic trainers, sports scientists and coaches, because if the if the athletes are hearing one thing and then a complete opposite from somebody else now they don't know who to believe and that discredits you as a staff and it's it's so so i would strongly urge um you know practitioners dietitians strength coaches athletic trainers take the time to educate not only your staff but the coaches so that they know where you stand and where science stands um, with, with, you know, in, in this case, case sports nutrition. And like Kim was saying too, it, they may, they may even apply it to, uh, their, their, their selves, you know, because coaches need to be on top of their game as well from a, from a, from a mental standpoint, uh, with, with, with the X's and O's and, and, and I mean, coaches work long, long hours and they have to put up with a lot. So they need to be very, very sharp, especially, you know, in, in professional sports, it can be, uh, you know, 82 games a year, 17 games in a season plus preseason and offseason. There, there's so much time that's dedicated from a coaching standpoint and even from a, 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 a sport performance uh, staff standpoint that everyone needs to be on their end game, a, a game. And so nutrition uh, is going to is going to be a, a huge part of that. And there's a lot of, you know, talk. There, obviously, there's a huge difference between D1 college athlete or professional athlete versus the low income school where like 90 plus percent low income, something like that. I don't know, um, here where I work. And so there's also the issue of, well, there wasn't anything to eat or, um, you know, I get two meals at school and then just whatever I can find or a bag of hot Cheetos because that's what I had left over, that kind of thing. And so there's obviously that difference there that I don't want to just assume, oh, well, we have a, a whole staff of athletic trainers because just recently I talked with uh, Victoria Morris and, you know, she's a solo athletic trainer and she was talking about how she was in college and she was going through depression and stuff because there was days where she couldn't even afford ramen. And so that's definitely 
a barrier. And um, here at Passing High School, we don't use ice for injuries, which is uh, kind of controversial. But what I'm realizing from what you're saying is I need to ensure that the coaches understand that we don't do that and why we don't do that. And then go from there, you know, the admin, I may need to make sure that the players understand that we don't do that and why we don't do that <clears throat> instead of, oh, no, your coach is wrong. No, your coach is wrong. No, we're just not giving you any ice. No. Well, look, here Here are the reasons. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what, you know, the science shows, that kind of thing. And so, again, it goes back to me taking the responsibility of educating the people around me so that everybody's getting the same message. So That's the hard thing with science, right, is because people think science is black and white facts, it's not, it's evolving. It's data that's evolving over time. And so, you know, probably the classic thing is, you know, my parents grumble, oh, you know, yesterday eggs were bad for me and today they're good for me. And how am I supposed to know? So I'm just, you know, they throw up their hands. But ICE with athletic training, I think is the, another example, right? That for a long time, ICE was the solution to pretty much everything. And now the science has evolved on icing and where it's appropriate. Um, but people think, well, what the heck? I always iced. Why are you telling me not to ice now? And it's really important to help people understand that science is not black and white. It evolves. And here's what we know now. Here's, we used to think it was all about ice. Now we know from you know new studies that have been done that there are better ways to do it. And so we're going to incorporate those approaches. Definitely. So do you ever feel like you have to convince people to change your performance because everything you said so far is like meet them where they are start with why do you ever feel like you have to actually convince them i think a lot of times that you have to you have to convince them and 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 sell it you know um it's and you know a lot of a lot of times um and it could be with coaches and it can be with uh with athletes it can be with even your, your, your peers as, as a uh, uh, sports performance staff, it can be with parents. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different uh, groups that, that you have to sell if need be, especially because not everyone is going to agree with you, especially if, if you're the expert, you know, and like I said before, everyone, I think the, the, the most overused term now, and it's been devalued over the years is, is in, in this phrase is I've done my re research. And it's kind of one of those things too, where, you know, when athletes, when athletes tell me like, Hey, I've, I've been doing this research and, and I've, I've seen this research and I've, I've uh, seen this claim and I'll ask them like, Hey, one, okay, awesome. Like, why don't you bring me, why don't you bring me the, the research that you've come across and just don't put them, don't back them into a corner uh, by any means. Don't, don't make them defensive, but just, just be open to the fact that like, like Kim, Kim was saying, you know, it's it's uh, it's not black and white. It's continually continually uh, evolving. And I'd say out of the the almost ten years when I was in the league, that um, when I asked that question, there was I've probably um, you know come across hundreds, if not maybe a thousand or so athletes in my career that I've had one guy come to me with a peer reviewed research article and it was impressive and i still talk to this this athlete to this day and and so um but uh but he he was he, he was a, he was sort of an anomaly but um but you know trying to trying to get into the weeds a little bit more and like where are you getting this research 
Um, and then being able to decipher, you know, whether this is uh, misinformation, disinformation, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then if it is steering them in the right direction and giving them examples of, you know, within the science, if need be, you know, why this this is inaccurate, what they're bringing to the table and why it's a, you know, a, a bogus claim. And just, again, just planting that seed, it's, 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 it's very, try to be, try to be, you know, very subtle with it and continue to have the conversation as you go. And once you start, start seeing that, you kind of see the light bulb click a little bit, uh, click on and, and, and then it kind of follows with that, that motivation that we talked about with the actual action. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not just a one-time, you know, consultation or, or, or one-time conversation. It's, it's a continuous conversation with these ethics and that's how you develop the relationships too. And that's how you develop the trust. Yeah. And in terms of trying to convince, absolutely. You're, you have to sell your ideas. Right. And I think that, um, understanding the science of behavior change is probably as important as, of understanding the science behind metabolism and physiology and actual nutrition. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of theories of behavior change and how to implement it. And um, as a practitioner, I would recommend, like, if you're learning the science that you want to teach an athlete, also learn the science of behavior change and try and learn some of those techniques um, because you you have to sell it to your athletes. If you have an athlete who is young and energetic and at the top of their game and they're doing that, eating McDonald's regularly, they're going to say to you, I'm doing fine. Why do I need to change that? Right. And it's usually not till they have issues that they're more willing to listen. And so you have to understand, again, this is part of meeting them where they're at, but understanding where they're at, and then use some of these behavior change tactics. Like one that I find really fascinating is the whole idea of the tiny habits. And you might want them to get from where they're at to many steps down the road, right? But you start with the tiniest little change and you let them see and experiment with it and see how that feels. And then you start with the next tiny change. So that's just one example of a behavior change tactic. But um, there's all kinds of science and, and the, the psychology and behavior say, so change side of it is really, really important. That's a really good point too, Kim, is, is and I kind of relate this to myself for instance, like whenever I go to the dentist, um, they're always telling me, you need to floss. You're not flossing enough. I can tell you're not flossing enough. Or are you flossing the right way? It's like, you know, I'd say years ago, and I've done a pretty good job of this in the last 10 years, but I was like, okay, obviously I need to floss. How do I do it? So I started flossing once, once a week and uh it was on a sunday and then i once i was able to get that routine down then i started going twice a week and it, that was the sunday to a thursday and then i started going three times a week and i haven't gone past three times a week but i'm just saying those small changes you know whatever it may be it, it may be nutrition or maybe flossing it, that that is going to be really really important and you can't graduate to the next level until you've uh, you know it took, until you've uh, accomplished that that first level you know, because there's so many athletes that want to go from uh, and skip this, the, the simple stuff, you know, um, you know, are you eating three meals a day? Are you having several snacks throughout the day? Are you eating breakfast versus 
they want to go to the supplements a lot of the times and 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 they want to skip uh the important stuff with nutrition as well as even sleep um and and so we really have to you know pump their brakes a little bit and get them to realize okay this is the foundation now start small and build on that and don't build on it until you can accomplish the, the small things. So on a personal note, I would recommend the water flosser. I use the water pick water flosser because I never floss <laughs> and it, I floss, I water floss every night. And so I highly recommend the water flosser and my dentist says, you know, Hey, your teeth look great all the time. So on a personal <laughs> note, I would recommend the water flosser, but um, I, I, I talk about uh, Dave Ramsey in, in, the Financial Peace University, and he says the same thing, that it's not about, like, when you do the debt snowball, it's not about, oh, well, let me take out the biggest obstacle first. It's let me build that habit. Let me change my activity so that I'm intentionally building momentum. Let me change it to turkey pepperoni instead of regular pepperoni. Let me change it to less cheese and more sauce, whatever it is, those tiny changes. Um, One of the things that you mentioned is your PowerPoint and it has to have lots of pictures. And as a parent, I'm more likely to say, why did you do that son? Rather than don't do that son whenever I'm rested or like not frustrated. So as a, as a high school athletic trainer during for us seventh period, there was times where we had 30 kids within one hour. So 30 kids, some of them needed an evaluation or tape or uh, stretch or, inst- you know, instructions for rehab, those kind of things. And there's two of us. So that means like every other minute we're shifting gear, shifting gear, shifting gear. So we don't have that time for the stop in the consultation. So thinking about your like quick access materials, what are some of the things that, that you guys would recommend for just the, hey, let me have this ready to share with you, to show you, to keep it simple to in- make the tiny changes, all the things that we've talked about, what are some of those really good, small, easy access, have it sitting beside my desk resources? One of the easiest things um, and most impactful that comes to mind is the P color chart, right? Like you guys have probably all seen this, right? The, the different colors of yellow to dark brown and helping an athlete um, kind of check in on their hydration status based on the color of their urine. And with younger athletes, it often gets a little chuckle, right? When you say, hey, did you, did you check your pee today? Um, and it adds a little bit of humor sometimes with them. So, and it's very visual, it's very impactful. It can be something you can show really quick, like, hey, just point, show me the last time you went to the bathroom. Did you look, what, what color was it? Or, you know, you have them hanging in the bathrooms. It's a, it's right there. It's, it's, you know, the most visual reminder. So the, that's one of the first things that comes to mind is just so, having that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt real quick, but we actually have some of those from Gatorade and they've been up long enough that they've begin to, begun to fade so that the light yellow is like white and the dark yellow is like light yellow. So I need to get some more of those. I could probably turn them off, but yes, we do have those hanging up in the bathroom. I'm sorry, continue. No, that's okay. But that's, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, it tends to be, um, I think we've always talked about over the years, like what's the new P chart, right? Because it's so impactful in, in that color um, with that. Um, you can have other visual things, right? Like if you need to, if you have an athlete who's just not fueled enough, eating enough carbohydrate, having pictures, like a, like a picture of um, here's what carbohydrates look like. Because we know there are a lot of athletes, you can say, hey, you need to eat carbohydrate, or have you eaten carbohydrate today? And they say, what's a carbohydrate? I don't know. 
right? And so just having those visuals like bagels and fruit and, and all of those things, instead of listing it for them to read, you have pictures of it um, that you can just quickly point to it. Um, Kevin, you probably have more tricks up your sleeve. Yeah, and those are some really good examples. I think another example is in terms of like hydration, you know, weighing in and weighing out before and after uh, training sessions and practices is something that like, obviously that's very, very labor intensive for one person to do as a, you know, whether it be a, a dietitian or a strength coach or an athletic trainer. And so, um, you know, we, we had made a, a, a visual of, um, of a chart um, and we, we put, you know, basically every, you know, five pound increments from, you know, let's say 160 pounds all the way up to 350 pounds. What is, what is, uh, what is the weight that you need to stay, uh, within, um, and, and, um, you know, in terms of, uh, are you practicing good enough hydration during, during practice, you know? And, and so, uh, that was one thing that, because you can't be everywhere at one time. You know, as as a practitioner, especially in the high school setting, it's it's very very hard, uh, with especially with the amount of athletes and even in the collegiate setting. Um, and so it's kind of a way where like, okay, you you teach them what this this means, what this chart means, and you give very specific examples. If you're you know 200 pounds, you need to stay, um, you, you need to stay above 196. If you're if you're below 196, then uh, then you, we need to really um, um, change your your habits of hydration either drink more um or maybe we need to get some sodium in you uh, before practice or during practice so on and so forth so that's that's kind of another example building up hydration if the other one that was that was probably the biggest hit uh in my time in the nfl was um and this is actually something that i took uh from when i was a, a collegiate athlete was the traffic light system at the training table and again this is something that like not not you know high school um programs uh and maybe some of the the the, the um, d2 d3 naia programs in college may not have training tables but um you know this is the, having that traffic light system on on the nutrition labels above the above the food um is something that was a huge hit with our athletes so the the go uh slow whoa colors you know the green go uh, the yellow's uh, slow and the red's whoa. It kind of helps illustrate, okay, not everything on our training table is um, considered like, you know, amazingly healthy. Uh, we like to vary things a little bit. You know, there's a lot of different taste buds um, that, that are coming through the, ta uh, the training table. People, athletes are coming from a lot of different areas of the country or even the world. So not everybody's the same, but we try to offer that variety in both you know, the level of, of, of health uh, versus, you know, that those those uh, food items that you would deem somewhat unhealthy. So it was a way for me, if I couldn't be at the training table, I like, because I was also um, partly a strength coach too, if I was down in the weight room, um, then it was a way for me to be able to, to teach while I was away, you know, and, and it also comes back to, like we said before, even education uh, with our, uh, with our, um, food and, 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 and beverage staff, our, our, um, our sports nutrition performance staff was, was key in that too. Cause a lot of the same, um, the things, same things that I've said over and over and over and over, they pick up, you know, I, I, you know, from a, from a, a chef to a front of house worker, they, they pick up. And so they're kind of able to, 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 um, um, 
to communicate for you. And, you know, repetition, I think is a lot of us practitioners um, forget that, you know, just because you say something one time to an athlete or you present uh, something one time to the athlete that they're going to remember it. Repetition is key. Saying that saying the same thing over and over and over and over um, is is going to be something that that will stand out. And the more and more you say it, uh, whatever it may be, it, it could even be, um, you know, in terms of, OK, we need to get uh, some sort of produce. We need to get some sort of a, um, a carb or, or starch and we need to get some sort of a lean protein and, and some sort of a um, uh, some, some, something to hydrate. Those are the, those are the four steps that we go by and repeat those four steps over and over and over and over. Repetition is key. And, and, and so, um, th those are, those are some things that, you know, when you're maybe away from the training table or away from the training room or away from the weight room, like those, those key concepts in repetition, um, as well as those illustrations that we've talked about, um, are, are going to be very, very beneficial. And that's what, you know, to your original question, you know, the repetition is important. And when you can't deliver that because you're so busy with so many athletes coming through, that's when being really intentional with like posters, think about how you decorate the room, how you decorate the locker rooms, right? Some of it can be fun, inspirational stuff. And then you, you sneak these messages in. So it's there hanging on the wall where they see it day in and day out. And you don't necessarily have to be delivering that message all the time when you're so busy. So we used to have several of those up, some of the Gatorade sports science posters um, on the wall. And then we had some from chocolate milk and they, that kind of thing. But then they repainted our walls. They took all of our posters down and threw them away because it was over the summer. So I'm going to be in the market for some new posters new ways to communicate that regularly to the students because I, I noticed when they were up the students would stop and read even if they're you know standing there doing their calf raises and balancing for ankle rehab that you know they were doing they were sitting there reading learning something you know getting that communication so definitely something I need to do so last night I was watching some uh, YouTube like shorts so like TikToks or whatever it was and uh, they're talking about LeBron James has one of the worst like diets out of anybody like he'll have French toast guzzled in syrup with strawberries and banana and then like a bowl of cereal or something like that and then you know still do all that he does so kids see that right so with social media with tiktoks you have some really good people putting us some really good information but the stuff that usually the kids move towards is the negative stuff or the the stuff that they like and retweet is the stuff where it's talking about how oh he eats so poorly but still performs so well social media how do you guys combat that that is a tricky question. <laughs> um, you're right. It's, it's one of the hardest things as a scientist and a scientist that works in the area of communication um, is to combat not only the misinformation, but the way information is performed. So like, I don't know what LeBron James eats, right? And even what's been reported about him, is it really all that accurate? My guess is probably not. Um, and you know, then there's headlines, right? It might be a headline, LeBron James eats unhealthy food. But if you really dove into it, is he really eating inappropriately for him? Like what you just described actually probably isn't all that bad for somebody expending the number of calories that he's eating or that he, you know, that he's expending on the court. And so 
headlines, headlines is the word, headline-driven society now where, you know, tweets where everything is short, sweet, and you don't get the depth of information. So it's hard. It's really hard, especially when you're working with young athletes, high school athletes, early college, um, and who maybe don't have experts. They don't have necessarily a sports dietitian to go to, to kind of check it. Hey, I saw this. Is this, you know, is this legit or not? Um, so, you know, every time I've talked to somebody about social media, especially the young, the young athletes is really, really trying to impress on them. You can't believe everything you see at face value, right? You've got to be discerning. You've got to learn more before you make a decision on it. And it is hard. It is hard because it's in their face all the time. Um, and, and they're very influenced by their peers. And so if you have someone on a high school baseball team who's doing all the right things and maybe they're using social media to, to share that, that's awesome, right? Their teammates are going to come on, uh, you know, along with them. You can have the exact opposite, right? The leader of the team you know, doesn't believe in eating well and, and all that. And they're going to share that information too. So it's really important to understand that the athletes are going to use social media. That's the reality. They are. And just helping them navigate it, you know, telling them to follow legitimate sources, you know, probably is that they're going to follow who they want to follow. Right. Um, but trying to just help them understand that, what they see is not always the, the reality or all the details and not be so driven by headlines and just, you know, that could be another message you put on a poster in a training room, right? That, you know, don't always believe the headlines, like learn more, be curious, um, and don't believe everything you see. Yeah, no, that's really good points that, that Kim's making. I, I would say, first of all, um, I would I would probably tell that athlete that you know, there are going to be a lot of uh, outliers out there, those, those athletes that are just above and beyond anyone else, no matter what they eat, no matter how how long they sleep, uh, it, there's there's going to be just those freak athletes out there. And th that's just the way it is. And I would, I would say, like, well, if you're a freak athlete, if you think you're an outlier, then then, you know, maybe. Maybe you don't need nutrition. I would say maybe maybe go ahead and, and, and have, you know, a, a few. Uh, I guess a, an entire pie of pizza before a game. Let's see how you feel. I think I think that's that's one thing. And if you want to get extreme about it, but I think the second thing is like I say for every athlete that that um, doesn't necessarily have the best practices with regards to fueling their body and recovery. It's like there's probably multiple athletes that do uh, do the right things and and they are they are practicing good nutrition. You know, it, it may be something okay like well maybe LeBron's not doing. The, the greatest, but Steph Curry is, or, or even in other sports, Tom Brady's is, is, you know, he, he, he obviously practices um, good nutrition and, and, and um, really utilizes his resources to the best of his ability. Serena Williams, you know, all, all these different types of athletes that are doing the right things and just kind of, you know, just kind of steer it in that direction, you know, um, just because you hear about one person and it may be totally false uh what the headline is reading um doesn't mean you know throw the you know throw good nutrition and healthy habits out the window um because it's it's about performance it's about recovery and you know it, it's also about longevity too 
Um, I, I, I would doubt that if, if, you know, as an athlete, um, if you don't practice the, the, the simple things um, in terms of, you know, re recovery and healthy habits, um, I would venture to guess that you're probably not going to last very long. I think there's a, there's a lot of really good stuff. One is definitely point them towards someone that's doing the right thing. Make sure that you check the sources. But um, here at Passing High School, we have a highly Hispanic population, and my coworker is Mexican. And so one of the things I'm thinking I could have her do is take some of the normal meals or foods that, that you would have in a Mexican household and say, hey, can you say instead of this, add this or try this or maybe a little bit less this, a little bit more this of what you're normally eating since I, I don't normally eat in a Mexican household. And then maybe that would relate better to our student athletes that are asking questions or, you know, that are struggling with injury or fatigue and that kind of thing. <clears throat> so that, that's a really good idea that I, I've gotten from you guys and, and everything you shared today. Um, Obviously, Gatorade Sports Science Institute has tons of resources. What do you think is your favorite resource place that you would share with an athletic trainer uh, or registered dietitian, so a practitioner? Not the athlete, not the coach, but the practitioner. And I think hands down, it is our sports science exchange articles on uh, the GSSI website, gssiweb.org. Um, we purposefully commission those from experts in the field across sport nutrition and sport performance, specifically to translate the science, take the body of research where it is and, and condense it into a three-page article that um, has, has the depth of science, but is still easy to read <laughs> and gives you not just one one-off research say, but really kind of synthesizes the body of research on that topic. So we are consistently adding articles to that sports science exchange program. So I would absolutely point people there. Yeah, no, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with, with the uh, SSEs as we call them. Um, you can also get some, some good information uh, from our Gatorade Performance Partner uh, website. And, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a program that it, um, it connects um, uh, practitioner to practitioner as well. And, and you're able to have those. I think uh, a big key with uh, creating that community is that you're able to exchange those ideas. You know, what, what problems are you having and are, am I having the same problems? And, and, um, and, uh, you know, I think we have some, some really good resources on, on that website as well. All right. So Dr. Kimberly Stein, Kevin Lures, I really appreciate you joining us to sharing how we can help communicate the science. If somebody wants to reach out to you or maybe follow you on social media or find out more, uh, Dr. Stein, what's going to be the best way for an athlete, coach, athletic trainer to do that? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Kim White Stein, and I um, tweet kind of exclusively sport nutrition science. So that's an excellent way to reach me. That's my professional account. All right. Yeah, for me, I, I am not the best with social media, uh, but um, you know my my email address is kevin.lures, so first and last name at pepsico.com. Last name spelled L-U-H-R-S. All right. And again, I'll have those in the show notes. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash communicate the science. I'll have 
the link to Dr. Stein and Kevin, where you can reach out to them, of course, on social media. I'm Mr. Jeremy Jackson for the most part. I know we've been talking about hydration and Gatorade Sports Science, but my preferred hydration delivery equipment is Frio Hydration. So they're one of my partners. They support the podcast since the beginning. So check out Frio Hydration if you need a way to get the water, those planned hydration breaks to your athletes, predominantly outdoor equipment. Um, definitely my favorite stuff. So check out FrioHydration.com. So for Jeremy Jackson, Dr. Kimberly Stein, Kevin Lures, who is working on his doctorate right now, and the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, that is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you very much, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. Thank you.